Hail Dictinus, grant us clear voices, strong sound, and good reads. All hope abandon, ye who enter here. Welcome to And Hell Follows With Him, the 204th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of Dante Alighieri's Divine Comedy. You may call me Ode. Mary Meet, my name is Gwyn, and why am I not surprised that we would be quoting Dante in this? Because, I mean, that is, after all, what most people think of hell. That's the image that you Whomst get. else. Whomst else. <laughs> but the, before... The we... definitive uh-huh. descriptor. The... Inferno, yes, the, the hell. hell yes. Anyway, we're going to be talking about hell this episode um, in continuance of the spooky theme of Spooky Month. But before that, we're going to do housekeeping. Mm-hmm. So we moved. We moved, and we apologize for not being able to record last week. And we apologize for not realizing we wouldn't be able to record until like we came to the day ahead of recording. We were just like, ugh. We were fools. Why did we think we could do this? Oh my God, we were so toasted. I mean, just done last Sunday because we had been slowly moving Uh every single night night for two weeks, putting as much stuff as we could in my little car, Mm -hmm. bringing it back and forth between the two houses, slowly slowly emptying the one Mm -hmm. to fill the other with boxes. Sometimes at one point we ran out of boxes, so we were just taking boxes to the new house Dumping them out, taking the boxes back home yes. and calling them up again. <laughs> yes, we did. Yes, we did. And we just, and then of course we moved with, had the movers uh-huh. and the cable and every, you know, everybody coming. The final move. The final move day. Moved the cat. He did not oh, like it. no, he did not like it. And um, it was just, we were utterly 100% crazy exhausted. Yeah, just absolutely zero spoons. Negative zero, spoons. Zero, yeah, negative spoons. In fact, the next day Deep at work. Deep into spoon debt. I was such an emotional wreck uh-huh. the next day that Monday that we would have recorded and chose not to, thankfully. Uh, my boss took me aside and asked if I was okay. Uh-huh. And yeah. had me do something else for a while just so I could get myself aligned with what I was supposed to do because I was a complete emotional wreck. hmm Yeah. It was a lot. It was a lot. So thank you for your patience. Thank you. Thank you. But here we are. We're in a new We're in space. Our new environment. Hopefully good quality right. for hopefully, our recording. Hopefully the sound is good. I'm sure it will be a different sound just because we're in a different environment mm-hmm. but um for the most part we've recreated a lot of the same conditions that mm-hmm. we had in the other house mm-hmm. this room i think is a little smaller it's a different shape mm-hmm. um so those kinds of things will affect the audio quality a little bit but i think it should be pretty comparable i think so so we'll see what happens we're pretty happy that we're here mm-hmm. and that we're back talking to you all again yes oh we did want to tell one story about our move yep because i don't think we told no this. We didn't. We mentioned, I think, that we ended up moving into a completely different house than we originally thought we were going to move into. Mm-hmm. And it was all done. It was everything was done last very, very minute. last minute. So, so we had this original house we were going to move into, and we were told it would be done by the end of September, and we could put in our thirty days mm-hmm. at our current residence. So we did that, and then we were told, well, no, it's not going to be done until the first week of October, and we were like, all right, well, that still gives us we're still within our thirty days. Mm-hmm. And then we were told, no, it's not going to be done until the middle or end of October, which was past our 30 days mm-hmm. notice that we had already given. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, okay, well, what do we do now if mm-hmm. this house isn't done in time for us to move into it? How and do then, we get all our shit there? And then we found out it could have been even later. Could have been even worse, yeah, The in terms of when that house would be done. Mm-hmm. So so we're scrambling trying to figure out, like, okay, well, where are we going to sleep? Where Are we, are we going to have to get storage to put all our stuff in? Are we going to have to get someone to take the cat? Uh-huh, like, what's, what are our, our options mm-hmm. here? Yeah. Will we be sleeping in the car or uh-huh. a hotel? Yeah. So so we're panicking. And the manager at the community at the house we were going to be moving into said, okay, well, there's this other community nearby. Who happens to be a sister community. Uh-huh, that has a house that's already finished that you could look at. It's a little more expensive, but... You could get the keys same day. Exactly. So we went to look at it and we were like, yes, this house will will work fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually a little bit of a nicer house, kind of a better layout. And so we're, we're happier with this house yeah, uh, ultimately. But but it was a scramble. It was an absolute like panic decision of like, yeah, sure, we'll take it. Yeah, Let us sign the paperwork. And then, and, and that was two weeks ago. And uh-huh. I took a day off work. We yep. did all the things we were supposed to do in one day and started moving our stuff the that same day. same day. But what we realized afterwards... Mm-hmm. 
So the street that we're on for the new house is called Nancy Lane. And Nancy is the first name of my grandmother. My mother. Who died not too long ago. And it was her inheritance that put us in a position to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. And that looked like saw us through a really difficult period. Mm-hmm. And so we think, yeah. sort of unequivocally, this was my grandmother got us this house. Yeah, I really do. And it was so funny because it just all of a sudden occurred to me because mm-hmm. we had visited it. Two or three times, once with the with the manager of this community, mm-hmm. we had to reapply f- yep, for the for contract. The... And so there was this big question mark, would we get it after we saw it? And we're like, yes, we'd like it. And then uh-huh. we had to do this whole reapply thing. And it took a couple of hours for mm-hmm. that to happen. And so finally, once we signed all the documents and I had the keys in my hand and I was dro- I drove back to the house to open it up and just for us to, you know, Mm -hmm. to take something inside. And it suddenly dawned on me, we were on Nancy Lane. Mm -hmm. And it was just, of course, of course my mother helped us get this house. Uh And so now what I've done is uh, I have this little patch where I've put flowers, I transplanted flowers from Mm -hmm. the previous house to this house. And I put that uh, roses there that were in honor of my mother and a little stone. She, she used to have this extravagant garden in the front and the back of her house mm-hmm. where I spent a lot of my uh, adolescence. Mm-hmm. I used to go there for the summers. Then we lived with her for a while. And so I spent yeah. a lot of my time in that house. And she had this beautiful garden that was just like her pride and joy, mm-hmm. her absolute treasure. And she loved roses. Mm-hmm. And so we have a little miniature rose bush and a little stone mm-hmm. that I had put in another, you know, back at the other house as a little, in a little garden yep. to honor her. A little and, memorial uh, thing. this is now in the front because we live on Nancy Lane. Mm-hmm. I firmly believe that she guided us here and helped us get this house because we yep. really were quite unsure what was going to happen. Yep. And this so all she, came together she very suddenly. All out. She absolutely did. And I love it. Rochelle is saying timing uh-huh. lines up too with the thinning of the veil between Maven and Samhain tends to be easier for ancestors to influence the side. And I absolutely mm-hmm. agree with that. And it was just, it was such a beautiful revelation. I was practically sitting in my car just, just <laughs> crying, you know, and saying thank you to my mother for watching out for us mm-hmm. because it, it went from being this, what are we going to do to, here is our home. Yeah. It went from being a crisis to... Okay. Mm-hmm. This joyful thing. We we have it. And then, of course, it went into crazy moving mode. Right. Which was just... Which was stressful in its stressful own way. Stressful in its own way. But it, it's just a joy. It really is to to be in our new house mm-hmm. and we're getting it set up. And right. and we're, we're so close to having everything where we want it. <laughs> yep. We're getting there. And it's just really cool. Every time I drive down the street, I mm-hmm. think of my mother. Every time I walk into the house, walk past that little garden... I think of my mother, and that's going to be the cool thing about living here, mm-hmm. is it's going to be a constant reminder of my mother. Yeah, she's she's very present in she's our lives. She's very present, yep. That was just a cool little anecdote about mm-hmm. the moving process that we wanted to share. That's right. That's honor right. my grandmother. Rana Gray says, it definitely makes sense that she's still looking out for her kin. She sounds like a lovely soul. She really was. She was, yeah. She um, really was. Beautiful woman. I would say that she's the best Christian I've ever known. Mm -hmm. She really embodied the values of Christianity. She did. She did. And actually, to segue into this a little bit, so she was the best Christian I've ever known in my life. Prayer warrior in her church, Mm -hmm. rock steady faith in her system of belief, but like very open and Mm -hmm. uh, accepting. And she always tried her best to understand where people were coming from. She didn't Mm -hmm. always succeed, but she always tried. She tried. And she, towards the end of her life, had this fear Mm -hmm. that she had not done enough and she was going to go to hell. Yeah, yeah. I remember she and I had this big discussion about it. Mm -hmm. And I I was like, Mom, you've more than proven your love Mm -hmm. for both your God and for other people. I don't think you have anything to worry about. Right. And by the the tenets of her own faith, I don't think she did. No, she didn't. But I think it's telling that... Even a woman as godly mm-hmm. and loving, devoted, and and just genuinely good mm-hmm. as my grandmother was, mm-hmm. could have that fear still so just ingrained in her soul. Of punishment. Of punishment. 
And so that's one of the things we're going to be talking about today is how did Christianity get to this point? Mm -hmm. What is Christian concept of hell and sort of its origins and how it developed to this state it's in currently? Mm -hmm. But also the the concept of the underworld Mm -hmm. and... And of of punishments. And of punishments and... Uh, because it's not strictly a Christian concept. No, although the Christian concept of hell is distinctive. Yes, it is. But we should probably start with our house kept and house swept. <laughs> now we can get into now the episode. Now we can get into the episode. <laughs> Gotta do it right. We're going to start with some ancient underworlds, I think, before we Mm -hmm. get into the stuff that led sort of directly Mm -hmm. into the development of hell, because there are a lot of underworlds across the world. Mm -hmm. Just the definition of hell, I think would be helpful, is that it is a location in the afterlife where evil souls are subject to suffering or eternal punishment. But underworlds are a little different. I would quibble with that definition. Okay. I don't think it's true to the modern Christian understanding of mm-hmm. hell, in that a lot of modern Christians don't consider hell to be a location at all. But yes, I would say there's a there's definitely a difference between an underworld in generally and a hell mm-hmm. or a punishment afterlife. Mm-hmm. So I think the earliest like underworld reference we get is uh, in the Epic of Gilgamesh, because that's right. where we get the they, oldest of a lot of things. And I think it's also telling that most of these ancient cultures, mm-hmm. they did seem to have a concept of an underworld mm-hmm. or or, a, or some kind of afterlife. Afterlife, yeah. The underworld that's mentioned in the Epic of Gilgamesh is interesting because it's going to have a sort of thematic link to a, an underworld concept we'll discuss a little later. But mm-hmm. the underworld in the Epic of Gilgamesh is called the House of Dust. Mm. And it's just described as like a place where the dead exist, mm-hmm. live might be stretching it, and they just eat dust and clay all day. And that's their existence is mm-hmm. just all they have is eating dust mm-hmm. in the house of dust. And it's just and it's human that's where humanity goes when they die. Yeah, it's just in, it's just that's just the storage place for the dead. Yeah. Um, Elle says, Well that sounds awful. Yeah, and but it's just a sort of like uniformity. Right. Like it's just a, a uniformly gray, vaguely defined place mm-hmm. that just is dust and sort of being dead. Right, right. Which is not unlike Sheol, which was the ancient Hebrew. That's the one we're gonna talk about in, yes. in more detail later. Yeah, has a lot of similarities to the house of dust. To the house of dust as well as the greek underworld um in some instances which is why later in later translations it was called hades we'll get into all of all of that for sure because uh the modern concept of hell is actually sort of a conglomeration Mm -hmm. of a lot of those concepts right so the house of dust was not super elaborated upon Mm -hmm. it was just sort of touched on as this location where the dead were there are also underworlds in i mean in uh, across cultures but some of the big ones there's mictlan in aztec mythology i think mictlan is really interesting because i don't i don't know that there actually was like a cross-cultural connection but there is an interesting sort of similarity between mictlan and later conceptions of hell as a place with layers Hmm. so mictlan was a nine level underworld okay And what happens when you die is that you journey through the nine levels of Mictlan. It's a journey that takes four years. You have a Mm -hmm. psychopomp to guide you through it. You have to like go through these various challenges. And when you get to the ninth level of Mictlan, you get to rest. Oh, interesting. So it's not like a punishment per se, but there's like this gauntlet you have to go through. This journey. This, yeah, this journey, this process that your soul has to undergo going down the levels of Mictlan mm. until you get to the ninth level where you your soul is finally put to like a, a permanent resting state. Interesting. Yeah, that sort of tiered mm-hmm. element is a thing you're going to see in a lot of later developed mm-hmm. hell concepts. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's any connection between Aztec, Mictlan, I don't know if maybe the Spanish picked it up. Could be. And brought it back to Europe. I don't know that, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I do think it's a really interesting similarity. It is. It is an interesting. But I think that you find some similarities between underworlds in mm-hmm. in their, their original concept of it's just a place where the dead reside right. and then it begins to evolve as religion evolves and right. or different cultural influences right. different are, cultures have different perspectives on it and, and they, they start get... intermingling just like with other concepts yep. you know through trade or through 
conquest or whatever, they, they begin to pick up each other's folklore mm-hmm. and each other's religious concepts of, of, the, of the underworld or the afterlife. Mm-hmm. And you start seeing this... this uh, yeah, these threads. These threads. That similarities. Sort of, yeah, that sort of persist across multiple cultures. Mm-hmm. Elle says the human universal is looking at that guy and deciding, no, we need a worse hell for that <laughs> one. So there's also the Egyptian duat. So mm, duat yeah. is just, it's not even really the underworld, it's the afterlife. Right. And so duat, you, there is, again, a process of like going through various challenges mm-hmm. to prove your worthiness. Mm-hmm. And if you fail at those challenges, in particular, if your heart is weighed right. and it weighs more than a feather, your soul is consumed by Amit. Yeah. So hell doesn't exist in Egyptian mythology. Just if you don't measure up, your soul is eradicated. Eradicated, yeah. There is no punishment greater than just stopping existence. Right. And I do know that there are various deities in charge of different things on that journey, if I remember correctly. Yes, and the journey through Duat, it reflects some of the mythological tasks that the gods perform Mm -hmm. and is sort of related to upholding cosmological order, Mm -hmm. which a lot of Egyptian um, ritual practice was related to sort of making sure the universe continued to spin correctly. Yeah. And that's also where a lot of, I believe, the the basic beliefs that you took various things with you into your like they would bury them with various mm-hmm. things grave goods grave goods and things like that to take on your journey mm-hmm. so that yep. you would have things to help you yep. along the way the other sort of major afterlife i looked at was the chinese afterlife mm-hmm. called it's called a lot of things but one of the terms for it is du mm. it's a many 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 dimensions hell mm-hmm. not exactly layered because it's described as having like two primary like levels and then thousands of little like branches that sort of spread off from it mm-hmm. where, where they have like little miscellaneous specific hells mm-hmm. and the purpose of du is that when you die your soul goes through whichever levels are appropriate for you whichever like stages of du are appropriate to be punished for any sins you committed in life as a process to prepare your soul for reincarnation. Mm. So like it's a it's a purification process. Right, right. So every person's time in DU is like of different duration and of different qualities because it's like hand tailored to fix you (laughs) for the next run. So it's often described as hells and like it's described as being full of various torments and punishments, Mm -hmm. but those torments and punishments are supposed to improve your soul, like Mm -hmm. to improve the quality of it. Hell says, so the good place stole their idea. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. Kind of. So those are like big ones that aren't Mm -hmm. directly necessarily related to like the modern concept of hell. Mm -hmm. Where we get into stuff that's directly related to hell is when we get to Sheol and Mm -hmm. Hades. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that I saw when I was reading is that, you know, religion played a lot into these concepts of, of kind of transforming the concept of the underworld from just a place of the dead to a place where there could be some kind of punishment, punitive action based on how you lived your life. Like for instance, you know, in original, in the original Hebrew, Sheol was just a place of the dead. It was just the grave. So it's, it's translated multiple ways in the King James version in particular, Mm -hmm. it's translated in three different ways. Mm -hmm. It's translated as literally the grave. Mm -hmm. It's translated as a pit Mm-hmm. And it's translated as Hades. Right. But in, it seems like the way it's used all the mm-hmm. time in Hebrew texts is as like the literal like ground of mm-hmm. the grave. Yeah, because um, it is described as a permanent place for the dead. In the ancient Hebrew, I was reading that it, it's the second temple era, the some, second mm-hmm. temple period from about 500 BCE to 70 CE, where there were different ideas started coming coming in and depending on the text you were reading sometimes sheol was a place for all the right for everyone the righteous and the wicked but they were separated into different sections mm-hmm. and then in other texts it was a place that was equated with gehenna the second temple period was really interesting because that was where we started to see influences from roman and and mm-hmm. greek and persian influences yeah and it was in it was actually in 200 bce when the greeks 
did start to translate mm-hmm. the ancient Hebrew. Yeah. Um, and you see that that Hellenization yeah. of of the Hebrew culture. And that seems to be when that's the when Shield concept started to split to like split. that. And that's what they were saying is that, you know, in this in what I was reading is that that's why different factions had different understandings mm-hmm. and different beliefs. So it went from being this place of the grave. I saw a really interesting text written, I guess, by a Jewish scholar that there was descriptions of that it didn't eat that it was so profound so like uniform that you couldn't even like remember god that like their god couldn't even be praised from sheol because mm-hmm. it was just like you were dead it was mm-hmm. so like sheol was just like the concept of deadness yes yeah, it was death it was it was the place of the grave it right. was just well and it this is, what I'm sa- this is what i'm saying yeah it seems yeah. to have not even necessarily been a place mm-hmm. yeah. or like conceptualized as a place right. that the dead went so much mm-hmm. as it seems to have just been like that's what being dead is is Mm -hmm. just that separation Mm -hmm. if you will but then again as mentioned it was in 200 bce when the greeks hellenized the hebrew culture they began to translate sheol Mm -hmm. into hades because they saw similarities as different concepts of sheol from various factions within the hebrew tradition began to assert their ideas like this separation of the good from the evil mm-hmm. or a place of punishment or a place where you just existed after after death. So Hades and Sheol became kind of intermixed in some ways in how it was interpreted. So I, I have a theory about this. Mm-hmm. So Hades in the Greek culture mm-hmm. is actually split into three realms. Mm-hmm. It's split into the Elysian Fields, mm-hmm. where originally, actually, just like the gods and children of gods went to mm-hmm. the Elysian Fields mm-hmm. or to Elysium. But sort of later Greek thought expanded Elysium to include just like the righteous dead. Right. Right. Um, people who had lived very good lives. Yes, exactly. Then on the opposite end, there was Tartarus, mm-hmm. which was originally just where the enemies of the gods were imprisoned, basically. The Titans mm-hmm. were imprisoned in Tartarus. Right. But then it was expanded again to be where all the wicked dead went exactly. to Tartarus. Exactly. But in between them, there was the fields of asphodel Mm -hmm. which was just sort of like the standard afterlife where you went if you weren't special yeah yeah and that was actually sometimes described in later texts as everyone who was in the fields of asphodel had taken a drink from the river leth Mm-hmm. and lost all their memories. Their memories of life. And so they were completely disconnected from the mortal world. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if what happened when the Greek translators and philosophers were looking at these Hebrew texts, I wonder if they looked at Sheol and said, okay, that sounds like the fields mm-hmm. of Asphodel. Mm-hmm. And then translated it as Hades, meaning generally like... Generally where all the dead go, but predominantly thinking of Asphodel. Mm-hmm. And then Hebrew writers looking at that pulled it back and were mm-hmm. like, okay, Hades has multiple layers. Sheol probably also has multiple mm-hmm. layers. And like this, this think, melting pot yeah. of, well, and I of think, underworld concepts. Yeah, well, and I think the thing to remember about the Hebrew culture and the Hebrew tr- religious traditions was you had different factions mm-hmm. within the Hebrew tradition. They didn't all just necessarily believe the same yeah. thing. Well, and d- different factions and circumstances of the Jewish tribes mm-hmm. influenced over various right. timelines, exactly. right? Influenced sort of what the prevalent philosophies mm-hmm. were. So like the Second Temple period was a really apocalyptic period mm-hmm. where Jewish mysticism involved, like was heavily concerned with afterlife mm-hmm. conditions because yep. there was a lot of focus on the messianic period. Yeah. But you also still had a faction who didn't believe in uh, in you know a lot of this stuff. So mm-hmm. it's a really interesting tend to I think because of Christianity we tend to lump Jewish religion yeah, sort of all into one all into one thing and it was it really very complex. Yeah, and it had different factions and different belief systems, which is why you have some of different... which like still persist today exactly which is why you had different beliefs when it came to the underworld mm-hmm. in the afterlife that later like you know in the new testament period because of yeah, different so... influences hades and sheol and gehenna and all of these things be- started to become associated with the personification of evil join our tiger crystal at apothecary teas This shop produces fragrant, aesthetically beautiful teas that delight all the senses, with handcrafted tea blends from white to red to green. 
This week, I suggest Persephone's Descent, a perfect tea for spooky season and communion with the underworld, with a blend of hibiscus, ginger, rosemary, and pomegranate arils in a black tea blend. Find them at apothecaryteastore.com or on Facebook at Apothecary Teas, LLC. Hey everyone, we wanted to actually talk to you about our friend Vicki Vaughn. Mm-hmm. Um, she is a high priestess, she is an herbalist, and she is one of the co-founders of the Mid-Michigan Pagan Alliance, that group that I joined this past summer on a really wonderful retreat. And unfortunately, Vicki has fallen ill. She's had a medical event. We don't know exactly what happened. Nope. All we know, all that's been publicly released, is that she is currently on life support. That's correct. So we wanted to ask for your prayers, your energy, candles, because Vicki is a tremendous person. She is a, a wonderful, just a wonderful person within the pagan community. She does so many events and has done so much to help others. She's a huge figure in our community. She is a huge figure in the pagan community and a precious soul. In addition to asking for your help with healing mm-hmm. and um, and sending her energy. the energy that she needs to recover mm-hmm. from whatever it is that's happened. And and energy support for her family. For her family time. and for her friends because mm-hmm. there are a lot of a lot of other people in our community right now who are very concerned about Vicky and, and trying to support her mm-hmm. and support her, her health and her recovery. That's right. But so there is a GoFundMe for Vicki Vaughn and for the medical and family expenses while she's on life support right now because obviously we live in America and all that stuff is very, very expensive. That's right. So they have a goal of $15,000, which I know sounds like a lot, but it's going to be a drop in the bucket for medical expenses. That's right. They've currently raised $600, so we're going to try really hard to to boost those numbers up a little bit. That's right. So we're going to link this GoFundMe on this episode, and mm-hmm. we'll probably post it in the Discord and on the Facebook group as well. That's right. Any Anything you can spare to help Vicki and her family get through this mm-hmm. uh, would be very much appreciated. And we have made a donation ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just ask for your help mm-hmm. for Vicki and for her family during this difficult time. All right. Thank you all. Thank you. So now that we're getting into the New Testament period, right. um, it's time to start talking about Gehenna. Because mm-hmm. the only reason Gehenna is involved in the hell concept at all mm-hmm. is because of the New Testament. Right. That's the only time it shows up. So let's talk about Gehenna. Gehenna means the Valley of Hinnom. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually Gehenom. And it's an actual literal place. Yes. So, and there are a lot of, there's a lot of misunderstandings about the Valley of Hinnom. So the Valley of Hinnom is a, is a physical place mm-hmm. that's, uh, it's a valley on the outskirts of Jerusalem. It's mentioned in, I think, the book of Jeremiah mm-hmm. that this was a place where people were burned. Mm-hmm. Scholars will describe this as a place where child sacrifices were performed. And they usually claim that these sacrifices were performed to Molech. Which doesn't make any sense. Um, but they'll, <laughs> that this is the general claim that is made, is that child sacrifices were performed to Moloch in the Valley of Hinnom. Mm. And then in the book of Jeremiah, it says, the people here were burning their sons and daughters. I didn't ask for this. I cursed this place. Right. God was speaking. God, yeah. God yeah. is saying, I didn't ask for this. I, I am cursing this place. Mm. It will be known henceforward as the Valley of Slaughter, et cetera, right. et cetera. So a really like common misconception is that the Valley of Hinnom was where uh, Jerusalem's garbage dump was yeah, yeah. and that they burned their garbage there. There's no archaeological evidence of that, that whatsoever, which is interesting because we do have archaeological evidence of Jerusalem's actual garbage dump, which was in a different valley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it did exist, and there were a small number of fires in that garbage dump, but it's in a completely different valley on the other side of the city. Mm-hmm. So it's very unlikely that that was actually happening in the Valley of Hinnom, and the only place where that myth, I guess, got mm-hmm. started was mm-hmm. sometime in the 1200s, a Jewish scholar named Michas, I think, wrote that that was his theory for why Gehenna was a, a metaphor that Jesus used. And it just got, like, picked up and spread everywhere. And mm-hmm. so, like, to date in, like, major encyclopedias, you'll see this claim made. But there's no archaeological evidence to support that garbage was ever burned in the Valley of Hinnom. What mm-hmm. there is evidence for is that there was a crematorium Mm. in the Valley of Hinnom, which would have been 
anathema yes. to the Jewish people because they didn't burn their dead. Mm-hmm. Because the Jewish principle of resurrection requires the whole body to be interred mm-hmm. so that it can be resurrected after a Messiah comes, right? right. So so burning the bones is no no good. Yeah, no bueno. Um, in, in Judaism. So there may not have actually even been child sacrifices at all because the language in Jeremiah is kind of vague. It may have just been a report that the locals, the pagan locals mm-hmm. had a crematorium in this right. area. Right. And that, that, that for that reason, the valley was considered like cursed and bad news. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, they had very specific laws uh-huh. on dealing with the dead. And so that may have been why the Valley of Hinnom was off limits was because it was where a like pagan crematorium was. Archaeologists have found like a crucible where crematory funerary practices could have been mm-hmm. taking place. They found like interred bones, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. but nothing that indicates that there were sacrifices being performed there. And technically speaking, in Jeremiah, the words for sacrifice are never used. Mm-hmm. It just says that they were burning their sons and daughters, right? Which and could very well mean after after exactly. death, exactly. You know, in the same way that they sort of refer to the sons and daughters of Abraham. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it could have been that kind of language. But either way, um, whatever actually happened in the Valley of Hinnom mm-hmm. that was being reported in the Book of Jeremiah, right? The Valley of Hinnom developed this reputation as like an evil place right. in Judaism. In the New Testament. Jesus, whether the, the an actual man named Jesus of Nazareth said these words or not, the report in the New Testament is that Jesus refers to Gehenna mm-hmm. frequently as like a counterpoint to heaven. Right. He doesn't say at any point that you go to Gehenna, mm-hmm. but he uses Gehenna as a metaphor for like the opposite state of heaven mm-hmm. because it had this prevalent characteristic of like sinister separation from God and specifically because I had this association with fire he used it as a metaphor for like pain and punishment in the afterlife yeah but because he uses that Gehenna term multiple times all of the like associations with the physical place of Gehenna Mm -hmm. were associated with Sheol and mm. the the lake of fire yeah. that's mentioned in Revelation, and also in Matthew, um, yeah. Jesus does speak about that that uh, the the wicked will go to the lake of fire where the demons exist, or right. will be will be sent at right. the day of judgment. And because Gehenna had this association with fires, mm-hmm. it was a natural connection to make, and it just all sort of gets muddied together, especially when it gets translated into English. Mm-hmm. Particularly in the 1600s, in the King James translation, where the translators do a horrifically bad job Mm -hmm. and just gloss practically every mention as Hades. Yep, yep. And so, so yeah, it's it's actually a very it's a it's a really interesting topic. It's a sticky wicket. It's a sticky wicket. (laughs) Uh, when you talk about the concept of the afterlife as hell, mm-hmm. because it really is more honestly, I think it's more of a modern construction, you know, modern, you yeah. know, medieval. Thank you, thank you to uh, Dante for uh, as far as our modern understanding of hell, it really does come from Dante's Inferno and from uh, Pilgrim's Progress yep. and, and and medieval thought in and general. Medieval honestly. thought in general. So their the, understanding and concept of the afterlife and punishment and eternal life in heaven and all this kind of stuff, which also also where purgatory comes from, mm-hmm. limbo. Yeah. So yeah. So these in between okay. places. So so in the medieval period. Which is actually ahead of King James. Right. Um, so the medieval period is from like, sometimes like 800 to 1400. It's an mm-hmm. actual, it's a relatively large span. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of more granular sections inside of it. Mm-hmm. But the medieval period generally is pre-King James. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason we call this Christian bad afterlife hell mm-hmm. is, it, it comes from the English. It's because Anglo-Saxon language borrowed a lot from Germanic languages and Scandinavian languages and in particular Anglo-Saxon like had a lot of loan words from Norse mythology and the Norse 
sort of primary underworld was hell. Mm -hmm. And so like when Snorri was writing his interpretations of Norse mythology, which are the only ones we really have anymore, at that point, Scandinavia was already largely Christianized. Right. He himself was a monk and lawyer. And so, like, the hell we hear about from Snorri is sort of a Christianization already of Norse mythology, Norse mythology mm -hmm. uh, and Norse perspectives on hell. And so he uses this Norse term for an underworld that he describes as being kind of shitty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that at, was probably just like the generic underworld in sort of the same... Just like the way the Greeks... And sort of like Hades, Hades, yeah. As just having... As just being like... Or the original Sheol understanding. Yeah, just as just being like a, a generic place where the dead were. and or then there condition were, of exactly. the dead. And then there were just sort of more specific like mm -hmm. halls you mm -hmm. could go to in your afterlife if you were devoted to specific gods. Mm -hmm. But because... Anglo-Saxon language had borrowed a lot from Norse. It borrowed this specific word mm -hmm. from Norse, hell, hella, um, as being related to the dead and just sort of attached that in the place of a lot of these Hebrew words, words. That, that weren't well translated at the time. Mm -hmm. And then, like I said, the King James Version later would translate all of those terms as Hades. But by then, hell was already like embedded in the popular consciousness mm -hmm. as where you went when you died. Yeah, you either have heaven or you have hell. Uh -huh. And of course, as these later, you know, as these writers, as these artists, mm -hmm. as they're depicting these concepts. Hieronymus Bosch did a lot for the perception of hell. Mm -hmm. And so if you take this concept of the lake of fire and you mm -hmm. marry it to the concept of, you know, in, in Gehenna and you, you marry it to this concept of Sheol or of or, Hades. Or you, uh, you marry it to this sort of mythologized this mythologies Gehenna. Gehenna. And, yeah. And, um, and you, uh, as a separate place like one of the things that that i read is that in religion these concepts of hell or uh punishment afterlife mm -hmm. it it they're very linear you know as far as religions are concerned like western religions mm. um tend to be very linear and you end in, up going sorry, to in what sense in that you live your life and then you go to a place oh, either yeah. heaven yep. or hell <laughs> Yeah. You know, the, or... And then that's like your permanent destination. Yeah, it's your permanent destination. Or if you happen to be uh, of Catholic persuasion or some other sect, mm -hmm. you may have a limbo. You may have a purgatory where you could be prayed out. You can be prayed out of purgatory to so, go to heaven or sent to hell. So Catholicism at, at the time right before the Reformation mm -hmm. actually had five afterlifes. It had heaven. Mm -hmm. It had hell. It had purgatory. Mm -hmm. It had the limbo for infants. Mm -hmm. And it had the limbo for patriarchs, which were supposed to be all the righteous Jews before before Jesus. Right, right. Um, and the, the limbo for patriarchs was supposed to be empty because all of those patriarchs were supposed to have been advanced to heaven now mm -hmm. that Jesus had died. Mm -hmm. And the limbo for infants was the infants were supposed to be like stuck there until the end days because... They had not had a chance to atone for and they natural been sin. Yeah. yeah. And then purgatory was where you could, yeah, you could go up or down depending on like how you did in him. And in medieval times, that was the whole point of the of the Reformation. Well, it was one of the points well, of the Reformation. One, yes, yeah. one of the points of the Reformation is that the church at that time mm -hmm. was charging people money. Indulgences. Indulgences to pray their their loved ones out of purgatory, out of purgatory yeah. into heaven. So the literal hell, hell as a place, mm -hmm. was really firmly entrenched in the medieval period. And it stuck around for a very, very long time mm -hmm. of perception. And there was actually a belief that hell was like a literal place, literally underground. Yes. That if you and got I, far enough into the earth, you would, you would find, find it. it. And I think that that concept was, if the Greeks did not actually believe it, I think it's that concept of like Orpheus's journey mm -hmm. to uh, into... Uh, Hades into the underworld, um, the concept of a river of the river sticks. I think those kind of married I think, into this concept of a of a literal place under the ground. I think it also comes, frankly, from the original Sheol, because mm. they describe you as going down into yeah, Sheol, by which they mean down into the literal grave, into six the feet grave. under. Yeah. Um, but then just Christian thinkers later were like, well, it must be much deeper down than that. Well, and they also talk about, you know, in the New Testament, they talk about the gates of hell and, and, you know, it's described as a literal place. 
to go, just as heaven is described as a literal place. Now, there are places in other dimensions, you know. There were people during, especially during the medieval period. Who thought they were, who like, thought they were literal physical places, places you that you could, could get to from get Earth to. If, yes. you, if you went far enough in the right direction. Do you know, I can't remember, I'm not going to say who it was, but... Like there, there are still Christian, you know, certain evangelical mm-hmm. Christian sects today yeah. that still believe that there's a literal physical place that you, that can, you can enter reach. hell, yeah. that you could reach from earth. As we start to approach the Reformation, there starts to be challenges to this as science advances and they start to discover like, it doesn't seem to matter how far down you go, we can't reach hell. Nope. Um, Unless so, you consider the molten core of the earth. <laughs> so at one point there was a theory that hell was in the sun. Mm. Because a Christian theologian just was like, well, where else is very hot? The sun. Yeah. So that was a theory for a while. Uh, and they sort of connected that to, oh, well, the, you know, those pagan sun gods and everything. <laughs> um, yeah. After the Reformation, especially um, as after the rise of Protestantism, mm-hmm. you started to see a change in the perception of hell from being a literal place you could physically get to right. or even from being a literal place in another dimension. Right. To being a state of being. A concept. The concept of hell as just the state of being separated from, from God. their God. And you still have you still have Christians who believe that mm-hmm. today, that it is uh, a, a state of being out of the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of became the, the more prevalent perspective. And eventually even the Catholic Church took that perspective on hell as as a state of being yeah as as a state of being as a state of separation is usually how how it's described Mm -hmm. whereas where hell is sort of like the ultimate excommunication Mm -hmm. and that's actually interesting because it it's sort of in a in a weird way ties back into a jewish concept Mm -hmm. of teshuva where my understanding is that you always have the potential for like correctly aligning your will with the will of God mm-hmm. and to not pass through the gate of Teshuva to be properly redeemed is to willfully separate yourself from mm-hmm. God and from the state of grace and being in alignment with, with God's will for everything. Right. And so like in, in a sense, the, the sort of new Christian concept of hell as a state of being mm-hmm more closely aligns with the original, original Jewish, Jewish concept, concept of like alignment with God. So that's that's sort of an interesting sort of mm-hmm. reversal to me. Something I, I really noticed while I was studying this is that not just the second temple period was like an apocalyptic period of, of Jewish mm-hmm. religious philosophy, mm-hmm. but Christianity as a whole is an apocalyptic religion. Oh, absolutely. Like by definition, the whole sum of it is inherently apocalyptic. And Mm -hmm. I think that's why it's so obsessed with the afterlife. Yeah. Because it relies on some kind of post-life reward for its followers Mm -hmm. or it's pointless. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And the corollary to having a post-life reward is that there must be a post-life punishment Mm -hmm. for everyone who doesn't conform. Exactly. And And that's why you've got evangelical Christians or other Christians who are very evangelical or is, you know, in, in, uh, Islam, you know, you've got, Mm -hmm. uh, they have their own version and understanding of heaven and hell, Mm -hmm. but you've got these, these concepts, uh, that are apocalyptic, Mm -hmm. you know, and you have to convert everyone. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, to that way of thinking, otherwise their souls will be damned. Yeah. You know, to punishment forever, eternal punishment. And you've got, I I have found, at least in my experience with a lot of evangelical Christians, you've gone away again from that concept of just separation from God Mm. to an actual physical. Yeah, we're starting to see it swing back to that. Swinging back to a a physical place, um, not in the earth, although there are some. Mm -hmm, I'm sure there are. Um, there are flat earthers out there. Yeah, exactly, I mean. exactly. But um, but you've got this concept of, of different realities. Heaven is in its own reality and hell is in its own reality. And there's no in-between. You know, mm-hmm. you either go here or you go there. For a Christian who is very much part of that mindset, you know, if you die you, and you don't know Jesus, you're going to go to hell. Right. 
then that becomes an imperative part of their of their faith and their belief system. And of course, they're going to want all their friends and family to, to be with them. Rochelle says, all the hyper-focus on living a current life for the sake of an afterlife has always felt death culty to me. It, it that, is. It is. Modern Christianity, in particular modern evangelical Christianity, mm -hmm. but really all Christianity because it's a post-Messianic religion, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is by nature a death cult. It is a religion that requires your death for its fulfillment. Mm -hmm. the, the point of the religion is to die. Mm -hmm. Just to die in the right way. Yeah, ultimately. It's the not, end, it's, at the it's end. ultimate, it's, it's, no, I mean, not even like an, an, oh, well, after a full life, but like the point of, like martyrdom is such a huge thing in mm, Christianity. That's like, true. The point of Christianity is not to live well. The point of Christianity is to die correctly. For Christ. Yeah. Yeah. It's just to, to die in the right circumstances mm -hmm. with the right set of beliefs. Mm -hmm. Everything you do in between is sort of irrelevant religiously mm -hmm. because it's all focused on the afterlife. Mm -hmm. That's the ultimate point mm -hmm. of Christianity because it is an, an apocalyptic mm -hmm. religion. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm sure they wouldn't see it that way. They don't have to see it that way. Yeah. That's that's the facts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, the fa like... And just accept that you are a part of an apocalyptic religion. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Jesus is accepted as having been an apocalyptic preacher. He was going around preaching the end times mm -hmm. that is definitionally an mm -hmm. apocalyptic yeah. religion. Yeah. And if you, like, if you build your whole religious philosophy around an apocalyptic preacher, mm -hmm. you have an apocalyptic religion. Mm -hmm. And the fulfillment of that uh, upon death is you get to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. By yeah. living this, you know, a yeah. particular way. And everyone you disagree with goes to hell. Yeah, exactly. And actually, so there were some fascinating, like, if you dig into this, the, the theological debates that have gone on in Christendom mm. about what exactly hell and heaven are going to be like, they've gone on forever. So, like, the whole thing about sulfur, mm -hmm. like, being associated with demons and right, hell, right. that was the result of, like... 50 years of extended theological debate about what hell smelled like. Not kidding. That was like a whole subject of theological like obsession for like a solid generation. Mm -hmm. But so at one point there was a whole like debate about do people in heaven see what's happening in hell? Do they know mm -hmm. what's going on in hell? Is there like a glass floor between heaven, well, there, where you can see down into hell. There are there are scriptures. There's, uh, I think there's some of Jesus's parables. There's this idea that um, those who were in hell could see what was going, you know, or in Sheol could see what was going on up in heaven, mm -hmm. you know, in God's presence, yeah. and called for, you know, come come and send someone to save us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and the 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 conclusion that theologians came to was that, yes, mm -hmm. people in heaven could see into hell. Mm -hmm. And also, they thought it was great. <laughs> like, the theologians like they're, were they're like, there because they belong Exactly. There the theologians were like, yes, and it's good, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Watching the torture is good entertainment. <laughs> you know what? I it, This is also bringing me back to the thoughts, the original concept of Sheol as a place of the dead. Mm -hmm. And that, and the, um, I say the mythology. Not even so much a place of the dead, but the, like the, the place, place of, of the, dead. the dead. And of course, Jesus was a Jew, mm -hmm. you know, and so yeah. he, he taught based, you know, a lot of his beliefs were based mm -hmm. on, while well, his beliefs and understandings were based on the Jewish right. scriptures of the, as interpreted. That he had grown up with. That he had grown up with and interp were interpreted in his day. Although interesting to note that Jesus was post-Second Temple period. Yes, so he was. So he was growing up in this already apocalyptic tradition. Mm -hmm. The concept of, that he talks about of, you know, in one of his parables where the the people in Sheol can see the people who are beside uh, God, mm -hmm. essentially, and are calling for help. You've got that concept in, um, I think it was the book of Samuel, the witch of Endor, the medium of Endor, whichever you call it. She calls up the, the spirit of, of Samuel mm. to um, to preach, you know, or to to give a... a um, a prophecy to Saul, which right. is the whole reason why Saul gets deposed because he goes through a medium. But there's this concept that, you know, the souls can be called well, up from Sheol. It's, They're not supposed to be. Right. But they can be. Well, that's necessary for the Jewish perspective, mm -hmm. as my understanding, is because the 
physical resurrection of the body has to be possible. Mm -hmm. That's why like cremation was forbidden. Right. And so, so like the idea is that in Sheol, you're basically just in waiting for like, like to for, the, for the Messiah and for God to resurrect you. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it makes sense that your soul would be yeah. accessible in some way. Um, and so that makes also sense why there is that belief within Christianity of the, the rapture, the, uh, yeah. the resurrection of the dead. Yeah. That it, all comes. That from all comes original, from those original Judaic, Judaic, Judaic system, yeah. uh, beliefs in Sheol. Something else interesting that I'll note is that although the concept of heaven did exist in early Judaism, mm -hmm. the concept of people going to heaven did not. Mm -hmm. So heaven was just a place where God lived. Existed, yeah. That it, it was God's domain. Right. When you died, you did not go to heaven. You went. To Everyone Sheol. went to Sheol. Mm -hmm. Except for a very few exceptions, like Enoch and Elijah, who didn't die, they were but translated, were taken, taken directly up. to heaven yeah. while still alive. Yeah, that was the only way you got to heaven. It was not a place you went when you died until yeah. the Christian period, yep. basically. Yeah, until well, yeah, until Jesus and and then his followers started mm -hmm. interpreting the scriptures, uh, yeah. you know, and very differently and very differently to accommodate their understanding and belief in Jesus uh, and, as yeah, the Messiah. The, belief that the Messiah had already come. Yep. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that so many, you know, that there are so many both religions that, that do have some form of concept of the afterlife, mm -hmm. you know, whether it is, uh, like an underworld or it is, uh, a place like in, uh, Eastern religion where, with that have reincarnation, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily, it's not hell, but it is, it right. is you're a, not a, there forever. It's, it's a like, waiting it's, place. Yeah. Or like a training ground, a training ground, you know, there's, you know, you've got a purgatory, you've got a limbo. You've so many cultures have this concept of either a place where good people go or, and bad people are punished or everybody goes. And, you know, it's just interesting to me. There's so there's so much interconnectedness. But I also think modern man's understanding here, you know, our modern humanity's understanding of or concept of hell. I think Christianity has somehow managed to take the worst parts yes. of every afterlife they've been influenced by. Yes, <laughs> that's kind of what I'm trying was trying yeah. to get at is that you know you've got you've got all these interconnectedness. You've got the everybody has some kind of understanding mm -hmm. of the of the afterlife or an underworld, but yet you've got hell which is this place of, of fear and torment and it is such a huge concept now and the thing is that so like hades go back to the, right. the original greek right. you got hades you got the three layers mm -hmm. which you can translate pretty pretty closely to the christian like yeah the medieval period perspective period. of yeah. like heaven purgatory and hell right 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 the difference between them and what makes christianity's version worse, mm -hmm. just objectively worse, mm -hmm. is that it's 0% reliant on your behavior. Yeah. It's 100% entirely down to... Do you believe in Jesus or not? <laughs> your, yeah, your faith. Your faith. It's completely down to your faith. And it's, that's some hot garbage. Right? Because let's bring this back conversation back around to how we started it. My mother, mm -hmm. who was a, a, a lifelong Christian, good person, mm -hmm. did, you know, very kind, very loving, loved her God, mm -hmm. uh, you know, supported her community, supported her community, all of these things. And yet she, as an elderly woman, mm -hmm. just a few years before her death, was concerned she would get punished and sent to hell. Because she had doubts. Because she had some doubts. In her faith, she had some doubts. And that was it. Mm -hmm. And because of that, she was terrified. Mm -hmm. Like, a good woman should not be afraid of eternal punishment. Because she has some doubts about her, her faith. Mm -hmm. That's how you know it's a, it's a bad philosophy. Like, mm -hmm. that is bad theology. That is a religion that is not functioning correctly. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that's my perspective on that. Yeah, and we're and and uh, Rochelle has said it's really difficult to engage with this concept without stepping over into Christian bashing. Um, and I don't, I don't feel like I'm stepping into. I'm, I'm not trying to bash Christianity or their beliefs in in heaven or hell. It just, it is a fact. This is what the larger concept, the larger Christian concept of heaven and hell, have become. 
over time. Let me put it to you this way. In heathenry, we've got the frith concept. Frith is intra-community peace. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have used frith badly Mm -hmm. to enable abusers in our community. That doesn't necessarily mean we throw out frith as a concept. Right. But it means frith needs to be analyzed and applied wisely and with care and with a broader perspective on Mm -hmm. the influence it's having on our community, right? Mm -hmm. So Christians need to get their heads out of their collectively medieval asses (laughs) and analyze whether their current theological concepts of hell Mm -hmm. are doing more harm than good, which they objectively just fucking are, Mm -hmm. and reassess whether it's valuable for their religion. If your religion cannot evolve to improve itself, then your religion isn't worth shit. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Them's the breaks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the the, the concept of hell, as and under- here's the thing. understood, is it's quite violent and it's intended to scare people. Yes. And it's and it's intended to scare people into compliance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, absolutely. It, I understand it's, it's purpose in that sense, right? Mm-hmm. It's pedagogical purpose, yeah, I understand. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not helping. Right. It's just making people scared. Yeah. And it's not improving them. No. So it needs to be reassessed. I think so. I think so. And like, I'm not saying you have to throw out the concept of like rewards for an afterlife and punishments for an afterlife. That's in multiple cultures. Exactly. And it serves that function of reinforcing good behavior right or improvement of self right or whatever um it, it can serve a spiritual right. purpose mm-hmm. but what they have right now isn't that yeah because it's not dependent on your behavior mm-hmm. like so it, it doesn't serve any meaningful purpose for improving mm-hmm. life right because it is wholly and strictly based upon one person's concept of faith yeah Jay Scheibe says, doing a ton of harm even within the big umbrella of Christianity. I remember kids in middle school telling me I would go to hell because I was baptized as a baby and not as a child when I accepted Jesus. It was after a lot of tears that I realized I didn't care because their concept of hell wasn't mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's, exactly. It, doesn't, it doesn't teach you any moral lessons. It doesn't teach you anything about how to be a better human right. to be told... That the only way you get the good afterlife is if you follow this specific God. And if Mm -hmm. you do anything else, or if you have a moment of doubt, Mm -hmm. you're doomed to eternal torment. Like, Mm -hmm. that doesn't improve anyone in any way. No. So, like, go back to the drawing board. Y'all had, like, some really good Mm -hmm. inspirations for hell. Go back to some of those. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And maybe toss out Dante's Inferno as as, yeah. a, as a uh, as what it was, which was just a takedown of everyone he hated. <laughs> Dante's Inferno was just him saying like I hate you, going to put you in hell. I hate you, going to put you in hell. And it it's uh, you know, and I think it is important to to understand that our modern concept of hell as a fiery place, you know, and uh-huh. filled with torment is based on a lot of medieval Fan fiction. Uh, fan fiction, yeah. It's, it's just Bible fan fiction, y'all. Yep, absolutely. As Rhiannon and Grace said, it's fan fiction. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right, well, I think that pretty much covers the concept of hell. I mean, there's a lot of, of different, you know, because you've got your concept of hell, you've got the underworld, mm-hmm. you've got the layers in between, but really we were focusing more on hell because we talked on about demons. Uh-huh, yeah. You know, and, of course, we didn't even touch on the fact that hell is supposed to be the haven and home of Satan and his minions. So. I mean, yeah. I mean, we, I, we don't really have time for that now, do we? We no. focus so much on the afterlife part of it. But, yeah, yeah. hell is also supposed to be where all, where Satan and all the demons yeah. live. Yeah, that hmm. lake of fire concept. Which, I gotta say, from everything, all the experience I've had with Lucifer, makes it seem like it'd be a pretty cool place. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, he seems like a cool guy to me. (laughs) Maybe health not so bad. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You can find us on Google. If you Google the number three and the letters P-A-A-C, or the number three in the words pagans and a cat, 
Horace Finn would say, Google three-pack on all the places. On all the places. <laughs> <laughs> we're Yeah, we're on all the things. All the things. We got a red, red bubble. bubble. We got, Gwen's got a blog on mm -hmm. Patheos Pagan. Uh, and she's got a... TikTok. Yep, that she enjoys quite a bit. And Instagram. Yep. Yeah, and pretty much, yeah, it's true. If you Google three pagans and a cat, yeah, if you'll you find Google all the three pack, you'll find us. We're there yeah, yeah. doing doing something. We got a Patreon that you mm -hmm. can join. And don't forget, uh, for cats, mm -hmm. starting in November, bugs, starting in November, we are going to um, have once a month. We are going to be uploading some kind a of a mini review. Yes, a little little video, unedited review, where we're gonna talk about. Pagan stuff we found. That's right. So that's the other thing to say. Mm -hmm. We have a Patreon. Yes. Where people can support the podcast. Yep. And uh, yeah, we're on pretty much every uh, platform. We're on Audible. We're on uh, iTunes. We're yep. on Spotify. Yep. iHeartRadio and any other platform that you listen to Anywhere a podcast, you get podcast on. Yeah. All right. I think that's it. I think so. So goodbye. Yeah. And you go know, to hell. Go to hell. <laughs> Go to hell and share this this podcast with people so they can go to hell with you <laughs> and but, have a party. But which hell? <laughs> <laughs> which hell, indeed, because uh -huh. there are a variety.